What does Torah say about taking Advil? Or taking medicine in general? Is it my choice? Can I refuse? Can I take health risks? Should I take health risks? Must I seek medical attention? Or is it my choice? Should I leave it up to God? Or should I take the steps to get involved? Welcome to Lunch and Learn. We'll talk about all of this today. Today is Tuesday. It's 12.15 p.m. It's Tuesday afternoon and we're on once again to study Torah together. This is our weekly Torah session. Tuesdays at 12.15. This is going to be a 60-minute class. Today is Lunch and Learn number 119. And we are getting together to study Torah. Hi Jody and Roy. Hi Gary. Hi Amy. Hi everybody logging on. It's great to see your names popping up. And we will get started in just a few moments for another hour of studying Torah. Our boost for the week, for our neshamas, for our souls to study Torah. As King David says in Psalms, very beautiful verses describing his enjoyment in studying Torah. And he says, Oh, how I loved your Torah. The entire day it is my discussion. I'm constantly talking and thinking about Torah. Torah fills our minds and hearts. This is called Lunch and Learn. We used to actually have a lunch together. It's about 10 months now that uh, we have the learn together. Lunch is uh, <clears throat> on you. <clears throat> but we can still t- study Torah together. As usual, we have a source sheet that uh, was prepared. And what we do is we look at traditional sources. Nothing that I'm saying today is my own. It's a collection of sources. Hi, Oscar. We're just getting started for Lunch and Learn. There's a collection of traditional Jewish sources from Torah, verses, from Talmud, from Mishnah, from Midrash, a little bit of Kabbalah teachings, and bringing it all together to give us a Jewish perspective on a specific topic. Today's topic is the case for doctors. Uh, what Torah says about seeking medical treatment, how we should take care of our bodies. Of course, this is a very wide uh, ranging topic, but we'll focus in on a few ideas and try to present the Torah view. And Torah perspective. Actually, yesterday, the 20th day of Tevis on the Jewish calendar was the yard site, marking the day and the anniversary of the passing of the Rambam of Maimonides, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, originally from Cordoba, who lived most of, most of his life in Egypt, in Fustat near uh, Cairo, and he was a physician to the Sultan of the time. This is in the late uh, 12th century. And Yesterday was his yard side. The Rambam, Maimonides, wrote many books on medicine. Excuse me. And we'll talk about medicine today. A Torah perspective on how we should treat our bodies. And get a little taste of the Torah view. So welcome. And on this post, there is a link to download a source sheet. The source sheet. You can print it out to follow along. Otherwise, if you receive my email... With the source sheet, you can print it out and get ready to begin our lesson, Lunch and Learn, learning together uh, to see a Jewish perspective on a uh, today's topic. Uh, recently, we've been hearing a lot about our health, different risks that are 
out there and how to protect our health. What does the Torah say about it? Let's say look at a little bit what Torah is trying to educate ourselves. What's the right choice? You know, they say to be human is to have the right to choose. To be ethical is to make the right choice. How do we know what the right choice is? Torah gives us some perspective. Torah tells us what the right choice is. Some cases it's difficult, not so clear, but here we'll look at some general ideas that we find in Jewish law and in the Talmud. Here we go. We have our source sheet ready. <clears throat> How to approach this whole topic. So as usual, the lesson is divided into four sections. And here we go with our first section, section uh, source number one. We'll begin with a mitzvah. We know that in the Torah there are a total of 630 mitzvahs. If you hear me, if you, just, you can give me a yes. Um, no glaring like we had last time in the beginning. We can just uh, acknowledge your presence and that everything is clear. So we can proceed with today's uh, lesson. I was quite fascinated in preparing this lesson. Learned lots of new things. And I'm happy to share it with all of you. Feel free to comment along the way with any questions or um, disagreements or comments. Okay, source number one. Thank you, Jody. We're starting with a quote with a mitzvah. We know there are 630 mitzvahs in the Torah. One of these mitzvahs is a very unique mitzvah, and not everybody has a chance to fulfill this mitzvah, but the mitzvah is called Asiyas Ma'ke. What is this referring to? Making a ma'ke, making a gate. When would one have a mitzvah to make a gate? So we take a look at source number one. We have a quote from the book of Deuteronomy, from the fifth book of the five books of the Torah. You shall make a guardrail for your roof so that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house. So that's the verse. That if somebody has a roof, a roof that is usable, let's say a flat roof, and it is meant to, you know, you can go up there and use the roof for storage. Back in the day, they would dry fruits or different things up on the roof during the summer months. So you shall make a guardrail if it's a high roof, it's elevated from the ground, and there is a possibility that you or somebody will go up there and accidentally fall from the roof, and that can be dangerous. So you shall make a guardrail. One should not say, oh, I'll be careful, I can, I can handle this. Should, one should not place themselves in a risky situation. And there is a mitzvah, there is a positive commandment of the Torah that you shall make a guardrail for your roof so that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house. You need to take the step to prevent that from happening. That there should not be existing a dangerous situation. Maimonides brings us from Jewish law some more details. The height of a guardrail should not be any less than 10 handbreadths. What is a handbreadth? The handbreadth is this. It's about 4 inches. So 10 handbreadths would be 40 inches. That's uh, just under 3.5 feet or so. That's the height, the minimum height of this guardrail. A guardrail must be a partition strong enough to enable a person to lean on it without falling. So just putting up a little um, sheet is not going to help. It has to be a guardrail, a partition that can handle the weight of an average person and a person can lean on it without falling. That's the mitzvah. Of course, there are more details. That's the general mitzvah, the mitzvah of putting up a gate. 
of those that uh, noticed a couple of years ago, Rabbi Brickman put up on his porch a gate, his front porch, because uh, maybe technically it would be exempt because the porch is not high enough, but nonetheless, hi Vicky, it is a situation where it can be risky, at least for, for children, and therefore there is the mitzvah to put up a guardrail. And actually, it's interesting that uh, one actually makes the bracha, makes a blessing when putting up a guardrail. I know you are accustomed to making a bracha when we light Shabbos candles, when we read the Torah, put up a mezuzah, and here the Torah says it's a mitzvah, it's an instruction from God, it's God's will to put up a guardrail. And one would make the bracha, Baruch atah Hashem al-Kinam al-Chalam, which Asher Kiddushan who commanded us, sanctified us and giving us a mitzvah to put up a guardrail. Obviously if it fits, it's the proper size, the roof is, you know, if it's the one that's actually obligated, one would make a bracha. That's the mitzvah. So we see here that Torah gives us a little bit of, uh, just to, to start with, a perspective that we ought to um, eliminate and avoid dangerous situations. Creating dangerous situations. To stay away from risks. Source number two. It's Even though this mitzvah specifically in regards to a roof, but it does not only apply to a roof. Source number two, another verse in Devarim and Deuteronomy, be aware for, beware for yourself, be cautious, and guard your soul, guard your life. Ushmoir nafshecha. Your life should be guarded. You should be a guardian of, for your life. You should guard your life. What does this pasuk tell us, this verse tell us? To constantly be cautious. It is a positive mitzvah. These words of the Torah are a positive mitzvah to remove any obstacle that could pose a danger to life. And to be very careful regarding these matters. If a person does not remove a dangerous obstacle, he negates a positive commandment. So there's a mitzvah, ushmor nafshcha, not just specifically in regards to putting up a guardrail around the roof or a porch and, and the like, but there is a mitzvah in general to guard your life, to guard your soul. How is that done? Tells us Maimonides. Any kind of risky situations which can pose a threat to life, whether it's a pit, if you have a pit in your backyard, and it's pretty deep and deep enough for someone to fall and really hurt themselves. There is a mitzvah to put a, a uh, something around it, put up a little fence, put up a put on a cover on the pit. Uh, if somebody to go into the jungle where there's wild animals, that's taking a risk. One shouldn't do that. One should be protected. And so on and so forth. We have this mitzvah shmar nafshchal to guard our life. Now, obviously, we don't have to go to an extreme, and that's a whole other discussion, maybe for another lesson, when exactly um, are we allowed to take some sort of risk? You know, if you Google it, you'll see that there's a certain, percent, certain amount of people that die every year from, uh, from going on a plane, or from driving, or from walking in the streets, or from going on a bike, bicycle, so many things, right? But that does not constitute a risk uh, enough to stop us from doing that. Right? If it's an accepted, if it's the norm, then that, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking a, 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 a risk, which is, which is um, common. I'm not going to go into the, defining that. But the general idea here is that it doesn't just apply to a roof, but it applies in general to any risky situation. The Torah says, We have an obligation, we have a mitzvah to remove that obstacle, to prevent ourselves from coming into a risky situation. Not to be reckless, not to take risks unnecessarily. 
Moving on to source number three. The verse used the word, you should guard your soul. Now, what does it mean, guard? It means that we are a shomer. Where a, the word is a, a guard. What's a guard? A guard is, in Jewish terminology, in the legal text in, in Talmud, a shomer is somebody. Let's take a look at source number three. A shomer is a custodian who guards a possession belonging to another. That's the term shomer in Hebrew. We need to recognize that our bodies are not ours, but that we are guardians. We are guarding our life. We are guarding our cell, our souls, our body. We therefore need to protect it, look after it, and keep it in good shape, just like a good custodian would. If I take my uh, watch and I say, hey, can, I'm going out of town. Can you watch this for me? I'm giving it to you to be a custodian, to watch over it, to guard over it. So it's not my, so the other, the, someone gave it to me to guard their watch. I'm not the owner of the watch. It's not my watch. I'm just watching the watch. I'm guarding the watch. And, and it's my duty, whether I'm being paid or not, to a certain degree, I have a duty to care for it, to protect it, and not put it out in the open and make sure it doesn't get stolen and make sure it's treated, it doesn't fall, I shouldn't put it on the floor where it can get stepped on and, and break. I need to properly guard it. I need to take care of it. I need to, to, I need to preserve its state. So too, the Torah says, our souls are not ours. Our bodies are not ours. We are a guardian. We are a custodian. It was given to us. It was entrusted to us. And we need to take good care of it. How do we take good care of it? By not putting ourselves in risky situations. Not going up to the roof or having a roof where there is an easy possibility for someone to slip and fall and really hurt themselves. And perhaps kill, uh, die. There needs to be a gate. There needs to be a guardrail. One cannot say, Oh, it's up to me. It's my choice. I want to take the risk. I want to go on this roller coaster even though people just died on it. No. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, not, uh, it's not up to you. There's a responsibility. There's an obligation to care for this body that was given to you, that was entrusted to you to take care of it. As we see in the following law, in source number four, you know, the, the Shulchan or a code of Jewish law is divided into the four sections. We have the laws of prayer and tefillin and, and the daily, you know, the laws of Shabbos, the laws of the holidays, Passover. Then there's the laws of, one of the sections, the laws between man and his friend, monetary laws, laws of damage. And one of those sections, one of those uh, sets of chapters, it says the following, source number four. It is forbidden to hit another person. It's actually connected to this week's Parsha, where Moses goes out and he sees two men fighting and he calls them sinners because they are hitting each other. Now, it is forbidden to hit another person even with the other person's consent. A person has no authority over his body to grant permission that it be struck, denigrated, or pains. In a general situation, someone says, here, give me a punch. And really, not just a friendly punch, but uh, really hurt the guy. And he wants to feel the pain. That's not so simple. We're not allowed to hit somebody. Because we're not hitting them, and it's their body to get permission. It's not theirs. The body was given to them, 
Imagine someone says, here, it's my, this, my friend gave me the watch to guard. Here, why don't you uh, break this watch? It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not mine to give someone permission to break. Or even to, to put this in a situation where it's risky, it might break. It's not mine to take such a, such a risk. I need to protect it. So the, a person does not have the authority, does not have the right to say, I want to amputate a leg. It's not yours. Obviously, if that's what's needed by the doctors, but if someone just says he wants to do that, someone just says, give me a punch, and voluntarily just go and pain his body, person cannot do that, Torah says. It's not the right choice. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. We're guardians. We're custodians. It was given to us to watch over. As we say in a famous prayer, you know, when it comes on a fast day, an auspicious day, or Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, extra prayers that we add are inserted. And one of the beautiful prayers that are written concludes like this. Source 5. The soul is yours. The neshama is yours. And the body is your handiwork. The soul is for sure. The soul, the soul is a piece of God, an energy that was invested into every one of us. The soul is yours. And even the body, it's your handiwork. You created it. The soul is yours and the body is yours. As, they, as we sing in Hebrew, The soul is yours and the body is your handiwork. The traditional tune that we sing these words. So not just that God is, it's your handiwork, the body, that you created the body, you're the maker, but the body is yours. It constantly belongs to God, even after you finish making it. God is the maker, continuing in source 5, and the owner of our bodies. Our bodies are God's property, and we have no right to tamper with it in any way that undermines its health and integrity. You know, if we say Hashem is the maker, Hashem is the creator, if, if I create and I put something together, I can sell it to somebody else. I'm not the owner anymore. I may have created it, I may have made it, but it's not mine anymore. That's not what we say here. We don't just say that God created us, God made us, and now He gave us our bodies, we have right, we can decide what to do with our bodies. No, God is the owner of our bodies. It's His watch, it's His body. He gave it to us, He entrusted it to us to take good care of it. And God says here, I'm giving you a body, I'm giving you a soul. And it's not your life, it's not your body. You have to take good care of it. And you need to put up a, a, a guardrail. You need to prevent risky and avoid risky situations. We are custodians. Little Johnny is sitting on the park bench. And after concluding the consumption of a candy bar, he begins to have a second candy bar. Hi, Michael. And then he goes on to the third candy bar and a fourth one. After six candy bars, a man sitting across from the boy says, little boy, you know it's not very healthy to have six candy bars. Your teeth will rot. You'll get fat. You'll get acne. It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's not a good thing for you. So the boy says, you're telling me? My grandfather lived to be 107 years old. 
So the man says, your grandfather lived to 107, but did he eat so six bars of candy every day in one shot? The boy says, no. He minded his own business. So sometimes they might say, oh, what's my business? My body, I can do whatever I want. Don't, get, don't tell me what to do. I have the right to decide what to do. And Torah tells us we have a responsibility. We have an obligation to care for God's gift to us, God's possession, God's property that He entrusted to our care. And to treat our bodies with dignity, to treat it with uh, caution. Now again, I want to stress, it does not mean uh, going to the extreme and never walking the street, crossing the street, even though the statistics will tell you that a certain amount of people get hit by cars. Because that's accepted, that's justified. We're talking here about taking a reckless risk. That concludes our first section. Let's move on to section number two. So now we're talking about preventive methods. But what happens if a person is diagnosed with an illness? A person gets hurt. What is the correct path, the correct step to take? Seemingly, one might say, you look into the Torah, the Torah is our guide for life. The book of instructions tells us how to act and react in every situation. And Torah seems to say in numerous verses that God, Hashem, is our healer. Let's take a look at source number six. I am the Lord, your healer. Ani Hashem God says, I am your healer. Another verse, I strike and I heal. And no one can rescue from my hands. So one might say, if God decided to bring the illness, perhaps only He has the right to take it away. God says, I strike and I heal. So if a person gets an illness, God forbid, it was sent to him by God. Not every illness comes from a result of someone's uh, behavior. So one might say, it says in the Torah, God says, I am the healer. Let's leave it up to God. God will take care of it. We'll get to the comments later. Thank you. If it didn't happen yet, yes, I need to prevent it from happening. I need to put up a guardrail. But let's say it happened. And a person fell from the roof. Should he go to the doctor and try to fix his broken foot? Or the concussion in his head? Or if a person was diagnosed with another kind of illness? Should one say, God is the healer? I didn't do this. It wasn't my, my uh, negligence that brought this on. It was sent by God. God sent this illness. God sent this sickness. I was born this way. Uh, I, I, whatever happened, this is the way it is. It happened. Showed up later in life. God sent it. So I'll pray to God and God will, I'll ask God to take it back and uh, that's all I got to do. I'm not going to go to any doctor's offices. I'm not going to go into any clinics. I'm not going to go to any specialists. God sent it. God will take it. I shouldn't get involved. If I'm getting involved, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, going against God's wishes. I'm interfering with God's plan. So that's what we might think. And one might, uh, you know, without Jewish tradition and without um, the oral law, you might look, well, not the oral law, well, just from these verses, just from these verses that we see in Source 6, one might say such a thing. 
But obviously, this is not the correct path. And it's not the Jewish way to just rely on God. Like the man that said, I want to win the lottery, and God said, go buy a ticket first. You can't just wait in your home and expect to win the lottery without a ticket. What is the Torah tell us? Source number 7. Torah says in the, in the verse, in source number 7, if men quarrel, quarrel, men are arguing, they're fighting, they're having a fist fight, and one strikes the other with a stone or with a fist, and the victim does not die, but is confined to bed, if he gets up and walks about outside on his staff, the assailant shall be cleared. He shall only pay for the victim's idleness and he shall provide for his cure. So, men are arguing, men are fighting. And the victim does not die. So if, it would, if he would die, it would be a whole different situation. How to deal with the, with the assailant. We're, we're talking that he, that he recovers. But he, he's, he's alive, he can walk around, but he's not good enough, he's not healthy enough, he's not strong enough to go back to work. He's sitting idle at home. So that you have to pay for. To pay for how much money, compensate what he would have made if he, if he hadn't been hit by you. In addition, what does the verse conclude? He shall provide for his cure. What do these words mean? In Hebrew, verapoi yerapei. And he shall provide, he shall heal. How should he heal? What does this mean? Says Rashi, source number 8, Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki from the 11th century tells us, from um, Troyes in France, what does Rashi tell us? He shall pay the, for the physician's fee. Physician's fee can be quite high. I don't know if they had insurance back then. Uh, he shall pay the physician's fee. Rashi says, what does the verse mean? That the assailant needs to pay the victim for his, provide for his cure, he needs to pay the bills, and he needs to pay the physician's bill. Says the Talmud, what do we see from this verse? From the fact that the Torah obligates the man to pay the doctor's bill, pay the medication bills. This verse teaches us, we're in source number 8, in the middle, this verse teaches that permission is granted to physicians to heal. And we do not say, God has struck, will the physician then go and heal? If, will the physician go and interfere with God's plan? God struck the man, he made the man get struck, get hit, and you're going and you're undoing God's work? No, we don't say that. The Torah says, He should go to the physician. And the sailor needs to pay the physician's bills because that's the correct path. That's the correct uh, method. That's what should be done in such a case. And if somebody is ill, not just a person should take preventive measures, but if a person is hit and a person was, is ill, he should go ahead and seek medical intervention, seek medical help. So, and that's why, because he's doing the right thing, you need to pay for it. If the Torah would be of the opinion that it is forbidden to go to doctors, it's going against God's plan, then I would have no need, or the assailant would have no need to pay for his bills. He's not doing God's will. Yeah, he, was, he didn't have to hit him. But once he was hit, he's not supposed to be going to doctors. But from the fact that the Torah says you are obligated to pay for his doctor bills, obviously that's the correct thing. That's what God wants, wants him to do. Now, 
He might say, one second, wait, how can you compare? In that case, God didn't make him ill. A man went and hit him. Maybe that's different. Maybe there's a difference between a man acting faulty and going and hitting a man. Then you can seek medical intervention because it wasn't directly from God. Man uh, acted, behaved wrongly. But what if something just goes straight from God? A person goes and takes a scan and they find, God forbid, they have something inside of them that shouldn't be there. There's a bleeding or whatever it is directly from God. Maybe then I should not interfere. So Toysavis, what's Toysavis? Toysavis are the grandchildren of Rashi and other rabbis in Germany from the right, uh, 12th century, 13th century that also have a commentary on the Talmud. And they, and they address this question. They're called the Toysavis, the additions to Rashi. And what do they say? They address this question. They say, one second, one second. I'll tell you. It's not the case, because in Hebrew, the words are in the Torah, Verapoi Yerape, healing, he should heal. Why is there a redundancy, a rep- repetitive uh, term? It should say, Verapoi, and the sailor needs to cure him, needs to pay his bills. Why does it say something twice? And we have this many times in Torah, and whenever there's a double word in Torah, every word is precise and, and, and needed. It's obviously teaching something that would have gone... Uh, something that wasn't clearly noted, but the double uh, expression is telling us that this applies in more situations. Tells us, Toysva, Source 9, you ever learn Talmud? You're learning Talmud right here with the commentaries. We learn Rashi, never looked at Toysva's. One might think that only wounds inflicted by humans may be healed. There was a physical assault from another human being. Then I can go and heal. That's not directly from God. I'm not interfering. Whereas healing an illness that is divinely incl- inflicted could be construed as defying the edict of God. Therefore, the Torah, whenever we're, this is the situation where Torah chooses to teach us that there is permission to go to physicians and it is not against God's will. Torah, so Torah hints over here saying a redundant expression. Therefore, the word is repeated to teach us that it is permitted to heal all illnesses. It happens to me this is a situation because we're talking about man and his friend who is obligated to pay. But here the Torah teaches us, healing he should heal, which emphasizes the concept that there, it applies to all situations, even in a situation where the, the illness was inflicted directly from God without, the, without being assaulted by another human being. Nonetheless, there is permission and that is the true and proper path to seek healing from a physician, from medicine, from Advil, from uh, drugs, from medication. One should not say, I trust in God and I'm going to wait in bed for it to heal. In a situation where it uh, demands medical intervention, then that is what... Our duty is as custodians over our bodies, which is God's property, the proper thing, how to care for the body, is doing the conventional thing and going to a doctor or taking the medicine that's needed to heal the body. And one should not say, why am I interfering with God's work? That's not called interference. Because the Torah says we should do it. Part of God's plan. Source number 10, the mandate to guard one's life. This that we saw in source number 2, the Torah says, Ushmar nafshecha, that we are custodians, guardians over our body and soul, is applicable even in the case of illness, not just when there is a physical assault or to prevent a risky situation, and serves to create an obligation to seek out medical treatment in the event of life-threatening 
illness. This obligation is also for non-life-threatening illnesses. We are commanded to maintain a healthy life. So one might say, person is 55 years old and they are diagnosed and if they're in it with, a, with an illness, a life-threatening illness, and there is a cure. He can take a certain therapy, a certain treatment to heal. And there's a very high chance that it will be successful. Now, d- generally, the Torah's perspective would be that if this is an accepted and uh, very low, a very high chance of being successful, then there would be a mitzvah to go ahead and take this treatment to preserve your life, to care for the body that is God's property. It's not your choice. Now, these situations are very tricky, and that's why rabbis and expert rabbis in medical uh, in the medical field that understand every situation will be uh, um, called upon and, and, and asked for their for their for the Torah opinion. And many rabbis are busy. Or Rickman is is uh, one of these such rabbis that is very knowledgeable. And and it's not always simple because some some treatments are risky. When do you take? When do you should you take the risk? When when do you not have to take the risk? When is it your choice? But generally, when we're talking when the, when the treatment is not that risky, and it is an accepted, it is the norm. Then and there's a very low risk. Then it is it would be as a general. I'm saying here as a general approach, the Torah would be there would be an obligation to care for the body that God gave us, and that is owned by God. As we said before, if someone gives me a watch, I need to do my best to take care of this watch to the best of my ability, and whatever uh, is at whatever is out there to care for this watch, and so too with the body, since we are custodians. I have a responsibility to take care of this body in the best way possible. And if God sends, sends an illness, then I need to take the steps to, to do what I can to bring healing to that illness. And that is why the Talmud says, source number 11, a Torah scholar is not permitted to reside in any city that does not have these 10 things. This is uh, from the Talmud 1,700 years ago and probably doesn't just mean a Torah scholar. I mean, anyone who is <coughs> like to go in the ways of a, of a Torah scholar <coughs> should not live in a city that is lacking any of these 10 things. What are they? A court, a charity fund, a synagogue, a bathhouse, a public bathroom. You know, in those days, you didn't have... <clears throat> bathrooms in every home, a doctor, a blood letter, and a scribe who would write Torahs, a ritual slaughterer for kosher, and a teacher of young children. Without getting into all the time, but we see here a doctor is among them. And one should not say, oh, I'm holy, everything is from God, how can I interfere if God sends the illness, this is His will, I'm just going to take it, I'm not going to get involved. Yes, that's true. It is from God. But nonetheless, Torah says there is permission for physicians to heal. And that, since there is permission, and then our obligation to guard our souls tells us that we need to go and look and find those physicians and find the cure. A general, again, a general. There are situations that are risky and one would, would be, would be uh, uh, obligated not to take the risk in certain situations where it's very risky. But generally, when it's not risky, and <clears throat> we have that obligation. And therefore, if we're choosing to live in a city, we should make sure there's a local doctor. 
Now, back in the day when traveling wasn't like the way it is today, but we see this concept that a doctor is an integral part of a city because illnesses happen, not just assaults happen, illnesses happen. And if a person has illness, the Torah way is to go and seek out a physician, to go and seek out a doctor. And many of the Talmudic sages, or some of them were doctors. I think Shmuel, one of the leading sages in, uh, in Babel, in Babylonia, in the, you know, 1800 years ago or so, a little bit less, was a, was a roife, was a doctor, I believe. And, and some other Talmudic sages as well. Let's move on <clears throat> to our third section. We turn the page and we're up to source number 12. You know, in Russia, <clears throat> in the Soviet times, it wasn't uh, permitted for a Jew to live in Moscow unless he had a special permit a residence permit to live in Moscow. Only the elite, wealthy and uh, respected people, individuals were able to live there from the Jews. Once there were two Hasidim <coughs> that met in the streets of Moscow. One had a permit, one did not have a permit. And a policeman is uh, walking towards them. And they get nervous. And the man with the passport, with the, with the, v, with the permit, excuse me, uh, tells his friend, you run, I'll take care of the situation. So the man without the permit starts running and running, and the man with the permit also starts running, and they're both running, and of course the policeman sees he has a good fish over here, and he starts chasing after them. First, in front you have the guy without the permit, and behind him you have the guy with the permit, and the police eventually catches up to the first guy, the guy with the permit. Whew! He's all excited, he caught his fish, and he tells the guy, show me your, your permit, show me your papers. And he, pre- he presents his, uh, his permit. Police looks, and he's examining. He doesn't understand. He says, I don't know, he's looking for something uh, wrong. He says, if you have a permit, why were you running? So Chassid says, why was I running? I was by the doctor last week, and he told me, for my health, I should run a mile every day. So I'm running. He says, really? That's why you're running? He said, why did, why did you continue running when you saw me chasing after you? If you saw me chasing, you should have stopped. And the chassid smiles, he says, well, I thought you also went to the doctor, and he also, the doctor told you you should also run a mile. So I figured we're both running. We need to take care of our health. <clears throat> it's a mitzvah. It's a responsibility. Let's move on to section number three, with source number 12. Let's try to understand, uh, let's, let's try to understand this a little bit more. How is it not a contradiction. If God sent it, how am I allowed to interfere? Source number 12, the next three sources are a story from the Midrash. The Midrash describes how Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yishmael, the early Mishnaic sages, the sages of the Mishnah, lived in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, and they were strolling in the streets of Jerusalem. And they encountered a sick man. Source number 12. Here is a passage of the Midrash. They encountered a sick man. He said to them, he didn't just go to the doctor. He had a question for the rabbis. What should I do? Rabbis, tell me, how can I be cured? Rabbis got all kinds of questions. They replied to him, do such and such until you are cured. This is your, this is your, uh, your the way to be cured. He asked them, one second, you're telling me what to do to be cured. Who inflicted me? Who afflicted me? Who sent me this illness? They replied, God. 
God sent it to you, but you can go and cure yourself. So the sick man responded, I understand. You have interfered in an area that is not your domain. You're telling me how to get cured. God afflicted me and you advised me how to be cured. Are you not defying God's will? Source 13, the rabbis asked him once, good question, but that is incorrect. What is your occupation? He replied, I'm a farmer. I work the field. They asked him, who created the vineyard? Who, you're working the vineyard. Who created the vineyard? He answered, God. They replied, to, said to him, you interfere in an area that is not your domain. God created it and you are cutting its fruit. God created this vineyard. He created this field. And you're going and getting involved, interfering. He responded, if I did not plow, trim, fertilize and weed, nothing would grow. Yeah, God created it. But if I wouldn't do anything to this field, nothing would grow. It would just die out. I need to plow. I need to trim. I need to fertilize. And we take out, if weeds grow, I need to take it out. Otherwise, nothing would grow. So the source 14, the rabbi said to him, Foolish man, have you never heard of the verse in Psalms? As for, as for man, his days are like grass. Enoish kechotzir yomov. Man, his days are like grass. Man is compared to something growing in the field, in the vineyard. Just as a tree. You're telling me about a tree in the, or the field, the vineyard. Man is the same. Just as a tree. Without weeding, fertilizing, and plowing will not sprout. And after sprouting, without water and fertilizer, it will not live, but will die. So too with the human body, the drugs and medication are like fertilizer. And the doctor is like a, the farmer. Tells us Rabbi Akiva 2,000 years ago that the verse answered our question. Man is like grass. Man is like something that grows in the field. There is a comparison between man and the field. You yourself told me you're a farmer. But if you're just going to leave the field barren, nothing's going to grow. And if things start to grow, you need to water it. You need to feed it. And if a weed pops up, you need to take out the weed. You need to tend to the garden. You need to tend for things to grow properly. Even though God created it. You need to interfere. And you don't think of that as a problem. So too with the body. Yes, God created the body. And God created the weeds. He may have created the illness. But we need to take care of this body. We need to feed this body. And if there's an illness, we need to take care of it. We need to take medicine. We need to take medication, drugs, and physicians. A doctor is like the farmer who tends to the field. A doctor tends to the body, God's property, and makes it live and makes it be healthy. If weeds grow up, if, if uh, illnesses come about. And note that you know, the, the Torah speaks very, very, in a very refined way. The Torah doesn't just say foolish man for no reason. Not that the rabbis are trying to put him down, but bringing out to him that such a, um, such a thought process, such a perspective is foolish, is not the correct way, it is not the wise way of living, it is not the correct way of living. For one to say, I believe in God, and I'm not going to interfere, however God made it, that's the way it's going to be. No. Then why do you put food into your body? Just let it be. No, you need to eat, and if there's an illness, just as we change the status of the field, there's not an interference with God's plan, 
Interfering the status of an illness is not an interference, it is God's will. God wants us to develop the land and grow beautiful and the best fruit possible using all the methods out there. And God wants us that if there's an illness that He may have sent, He wants us to overcome that illness and if possible to seek, a, uh, to seek medical attention. Source number 15, God will that there be a partnership in creation and that humans make use of the natural means at their disposal to live the best life possible. God may have sent the illness, but He also created certain herbs or certain drugs that were put together that can combat that illness and can bring healing. God wants us to make use of that. He wants a partnership. Seeking the help of physicians and using medication poses no confrontation with the will of God, just as one sees no problem in plowing a barren field. That's part of God's plan. Why did He... Well, you might say, well, why did He send the sickness if He wants us to heal? I don't know. Maybe He wants you to make a trip to the doctor. Maybe something, something opportunity there. Who knows? It's not our business. We don't always see the, the delicious fruit that grow from this change that we're interfering and bringing heal, uh, healing, but that's the way God intended it to be and wants us to do. And we see it in the Torah clearly. The Torah says the doctors have permission. He brings the illness, but he also wants us to seek the pure. Concluding this section, we have source number 16. In 1623, there was a plague and a certain religious leader at the time, hundreds of years ago, uh, was of the opinion different than what we're talking here. And I found a quote from this book, the very best source 16, he wrote, the very best course is not to flee the plague, but to flee sin by atonement and repentance don't flee the city where this uh, plague was, uh, was raging. No, that's going against God's plans, showing that you lack uh, trust in God. God's bringing the plague and you're running away. No, there's a message here from God to repent, to seek atonement. Don't flee the city. You don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it, it's demonstrating a lack of trust in God's providence. By fleeing. Don't flee the city, flee the sin. That was his opinion. But contrast that to what it says in Code of Jewish Law by the Ramor Ramosha Iserlish from Krakow, Poland, who passed in 1570, I believe. He's buried in Krakow. Unlock Bohmer is his day of his passing. We spoke about him a few months ago. And Ramosha Iserlish says. In end of source 16, one ought to flee the city when there is a plague in the city. No, if there's a plague, yeah, the plague was sent by God. But you should leave the city. That's not interfering with God's plan. Maybe what maybe God wants you to leave the city. And he does want you to, because God says, Virapa Yarapa, you should seek healing if there's an illness. And not just if you were physically assaulted by another human being. Or you were negligent and d didn't put up a guardrail and you slipped off the roof and hurt yourself. Even a God-sent illness. You should seek healing. 
And what included in that? If there was a plague in the city, says the code of Jewish law. What is the law? Leave the city. Now, what exactly defines a plague? It's not for now. But the general approach is that if indeed there is a plague and the way to save yourself is by leaving the city, leave the city. That's not a lack of trust in the providence of God. That's part of God's plan. He wants it to be a plague and he wants you to leave or do whatever it is to fight that plague. Medicine, medication, whatever, whatever it is. One should not rely on a miracle. One cannot say, I'm going to win the lottery without buying a ticket. One should not say, I'm going to be saved by repentance. Yes, you have to repent and you need to seek atonement and it's a message from God. Yes, he brought on the plague, but that does not mean that you do not have the obligation to protect yourself. Moving on to our last section for today. The famous story of the... There's a flood, there's a hurricane, the water is rising, the man climbs to his roof and he says, please God, help me, save me. I've worshipped you, i prayed to you all these years, save me in my time of need. A minute later, a boat comes by and the man says, hop in. The guy says, no, I'm taken care of, God is coming to save me. The water rises to his waist. A boat comes by, man says, hop in. Says, I'm okay, God is going to save me. Boat goes on, the water is by his neck and he turns to God, he says, save me. A boat comes by, the last moment, says, hop inside, I'll take you to, to safety. The man says, I'm okay, God will save me. And the man dies, he comes up to heaven and he comes to the heavenly court, he comes to God and he says, God, I trusted in you, why didn't you save me? Why didn't you send for help? Why didn't you come rescue me? And God says to him, you fool, I sent you one boat, a second boat, a third boat. Why didn't you hop in? I sent those boats. The cure, the physician, the medication is not something detached from God. God sent the illness and we're going to counter God and fight God's will. We're not defying God's will. Who created these cures? Who created the possibility of leaving the plague? Who created these preventive measures? God. As we see in source number 17, written by Maimonides from the 11th century, the 12th century. It says Maimonides, source 17, yes, the verse does say, God is, I am the healer. That's what it means. When God is the healer, it doesn't mean to leave it up to God. It means to look for those tools that God provided you to use for your cure. If a person is hungry and eats food in order to relieve himself from the great discomfort, will we say that he disregarded his trust in God? Oh, I, God will make me full, satiate me. No, you got to open your mouth, go to the store, buy food and insert it into your mouth and chew and swallow. You can't just rely on God. You didn't disregard or trust in God. Only fools will say such a thing. Just as I thank God when I eat for giving me something to remove my hunger and giving me life and sustenance. Yes, I went to the store and there was a person that built a factory and provided this food. But who made the ground provide, give out food and the whole system of everything? Who made you be successful in business and have money to buy the food? So we thank God 
it's not going against God's will, and we thank God for providing the sustenance. Likewise, it is proper to thank Him for creating the treatment which I can use to heal my illness. They came up with a vaccine. They came up with a with a treatment, with a with a he, with a healing. Who gave them the wisdom? Who created the nature? Who created everything? And continues to create and, and put in this world amazing tools to to fight these illnesses. Hashem, hi Carol. So yes, we go and seek the physician's attention, medical attention, but we have to pray to Hashem to bring success in that. And we thank Hashem. Source number 18, physicians can be seen as God's agents. They're not that God sent an illness, comes the agent, and he is fighting God. No, he's God's agent. Who, endowed by him, uh, physician, source 18, physicians can be seen as God's agents, endowed by him with all the tools they need to heal the sick. When people are ill, they ought to pray to God to ask that He grant success to His agents in finding and administering the cure. Later, we must thank God for allowing the treatment to be successful. Yes, we, th- we say thank you to the doctor as well. But that the doctor should get it right and give a proper diagnosis and to figure out the right cure and administer the, the, the cure of the medicine properly. So we need to pray to Hashem. We don't rel- we're not going to lay in bed and wait for the medicine to get into our mouth and Hashem to heal us. We pray to Hashem and then we go to the doctor and we're confident that after our prayers, the doctor will be successful in helping us cure the illness. Not us, of course. People. Should never, in, ca- in such a case, it should never happen. This explains a story in the books of the prophets. Source number 19 talks about a king. There were Jewish kings. We all know, or we should know, hopefully we know. First Jewish king was King Saul, Shaul. Second Jewish king was David, King David, the author of Psalms we quoted earlier. His son was King Solomon. After King Solomon came his son, Rechavam, or Rehoboam. His son was Aviyah. And Aviyah's son was Asa. Until the end of the, set, the first temple era, the last king was Tzidkiyahu, who was exiled by Nebuzradan, the general of Nebuchadnezzar, who we spoke about a few weeks ago on the 10th of Tevis. So Asa, oh, some, some kings were more... I would say generally the Judean kings were God-fearing. It was also the northern kingdom over the ten tribes that were less, more, more uh, steeped into idol worship. King Asa was a good king, a God-fearing king, and he uprooted idol worship. But one verse criticizes him a bit. In the book of Chronicles, the last book of the prophets, a book, excuse me, in the, in, in the writings, in the last, one of the last books of the Torah, Divrei Ayamim, two volumes, now volume one and volume two. Torah has 24 books total. What does the verse say? Source 19. Asa. Asa suffered from a foot ailment. 
And even in his illness, he did not seek the Lord, but the physician. This was towards the end of his reign, 39 or 40, about 40 years that he reigned over the Jewish people, uh, at least in the, in the south of Israel, in Jerusalem. But towards the end of his life, he had a foot ailment. And even in his illness, he did not seek the Lord. Even though he got sick, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. What does this mean? Problem? He went to the physicians. He should have just relied on God. He should have just prayed to God and wait for it to be healed. We just said it's, not, it's, it's okay to go to physicians. That's not the problem. The problem is not that he seeked physicians. Says the Metsudas David, the, one of the commentaries on the, on the verse, his error was not seeking doctors. That's not an error. That's not a, that's not a problem. That's in line with Torah thinking. But neglecting to realize that the doctors are only the agents of God. He is criticized because he neglected to pray to God for his cure. Yes, we go to doctors. If we need to go to doctors, we go to the doctor. But it's not the doctor. God endowed them with the ability, with all the cures that they have and the, and the medications, and with the wisdom. King Asa's mistake was, his error was, that he went to the doctors thinking the doctors are his healers and are recognizing that they are merely agents of God. And in order for the doctors to be successful, we need to pray to God. <clears throat> God brought the illness and God will bring the, the uh, cure. Yes, we can't say just as he brought the illness, the, the same way he will take the, take, bring the cure. No, we need to take the step. We need to go and feed our bodies. We need to go and take care of the illness. But we recognize that they are the agents of God. God, through them, will bring the cure. I need to take the step. I need to go to them. But they are, God's, they are the agents of God. And in order for them to be successful, we need to pray to God to bring them success. We need to strengthen our connection with Hashem. We need to do an extra mitzvah. And that's why three times a day in our prayers, in the Amidah, where we ask God for so many things, 19 blessings, one of them is, the eighth blessing is, source number 20, heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. Grant complete cure and healing to all our wounds. For you, Almighty God, King, are a faithful and merciful healer. You're the healer. I we're saying, no, God sends illnesses. He doesn't take care. He doesn't heal us. No, the doctors heal us. Yeah, they're the ones that administer the needle and they inject the medication. But who created the medication? Who gave them the, the wisdom to make the proper diagnosis? It's God. We pray to God. And after the done, we say thank you to the doctor. When they say thank you to God, we're helping this be successful or making this all happen. That's the Torah approach. So King Asa was lacking that. Yes, he went to doctors, but he neglected to realize that the doctors are God's agents. And together with going with the doctor, we pray, say psalms, we give, put some more charity. When we say in the synagogue a blessing by the Torah, where people that are ill, we say on, that we're the, 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 uh, pledging to charity on their behalf. What does that have to do? Go to, you say, go to the doctor. Why are you giving charity? How is charity going to help you? No. Because, yeah, the doctor is doing it, but who is helping them? Who is making it all happen? Hashem. If Hashem is doing it, we need to, uh, we need to make sure we want to, that to bring extra, extra success to that. So we need to strengthen our relationship with Hashem. We pray to Hashem. Hashem is indeed the healer.
I'm going to conclude with the last two sources with a little bit of a deeper idea. Perhaps in another lesson we can expound on that more. And that is that although we are obligated to seek medical attention, but, but spiritual strength can influence our bodies as well. Can, can complement Let's take a look in source number 21. One who feels pain in the head should engage in the study of Torah. We have a quote, an interesting quote from the Talmud. Talmud says, Chosh You have a headache. You have a migraine. You have a boo-boo. You have, a, you, have a, you have an illness. What does the Talmud say? Yaslik Patera. Go open a book of Torah. Study Torah. Lose yourself in the Torah. Just delve into the teachings of Torah. And the Talmud continues. If you have a pain in your stomach, study Torah. You have a sore throat. You have pain in your throat. Study Torah. Your whole body is aching. Study Torah. What does this mean? This is not negating the obligation, the responsibility to go to a physician and take some Advil. But, in addition, if the body is ill by bringing vitality to the soul, to the neshama, that can be effective in aiding the success of the medication. Because body and soul are intertwined. And we know this, uh, the proven a person's uh, spirit is uh, you know, together with their doing whatever medicine and health care the doctors will advise, taking care of your neshama, your soul, and spiritual situation is also helpful because <clears throat> the two are intertwined. Source number 22, have a quote from the Maharal. The Maharal was Rabbi Yehuda Loi, who was the chief rabbi of Prague. <clears throat> and... He's buried in Prague. Many go up to his grave. Lived about 400 years ago. And the Maharal writes like this. God was looking... Well, first he brings a quote from Midrash. God was looking into the Torah as he was creating the world. Now, we'll just touch upon this idea. This idea talking about in the, talked about more in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus. When God created the world, the Midrash says he was looking into the Torah. He wanted it, it was like a blueprint. You know, how, how do I do this? Look in the Torah. The Torah was there, even though it was given, of course, two and a half thousand years later to the Jewish people of Mount Sinai, but the Torah was already written and all planned before. It's God's wisdom. And God existed before. Nothing was added to God. God, everything was there before. <clears throat> so God was peering into the Torah, looked into the Torah as he was creating the world. The world is the blueprint for the Torah. Now, the Torah itself is the regulator of everything. Not just that the Torah was used to create the world 5,781 years ago, but the world is constantly being recreated with the, with the energy of the Torah. The Torah is the source for the, for, for the regulations of the world. Therefore, if one has an illness of the body, meaning that he departed from the normal order, he should study Torah, which is the regulator of the life force the regulator of the universe. Then the person who received the illness, which is a change from the normal, 
which comes as a result of being disconnected from the blueprint of the world, the regulator of the world, which makes things run normally. So if there's an illness which is, a, which is departing from the regular way, which is a, la- a result of a lack of connection, a disconnection to the Torah, which is the source, so by studying Torah, we'll be able to return, return to their normal order. <clears throat> so by improving the vitality of the soul, by connecting to, stu- to Torah, by connecting to something spiritual, by connecting to Torah, which is God's wisdom, by doing a mitzvah, by improving the vitality of the soul, because the soul is intertwined with the body, in addition to seeking medical attention to, for your body, we also pray to God. Praying to God not just that to bring success in the treatment of the bo- of the medicine to the body, but also the mere fact of turning to God that is strengthening our connection to God by studying Torah, by giving charity, by doing a mitzvah. We are improving the vitality of our neshama, of our soul, by enhancing the connection it has with Hashem, and that will aid in the effectiveness of the medicine that is being administered to the body. That's a bit deep, but that's the truth. And that's what the Maharal tells us. And that is why Jewish practice is that in a case of where someone is ill, first thing you do, you're going to pray. How's that going to help? We don't just pray. We go and go to the doctor, but we pray that it should be successful. And just by praying, not just that it should be successful, by praying, by enhancing, by strengthening our connection to Hashem, by boosting the spiritual immune system, that is intertwined with the physical immune system and goes hand in hand. They, they complement each other. But God forbid that does not negate the obligation to go to a physician to seek medical treatment when necessary. That is why <clears throat> many times people would come to the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, many times he would say, check your mezuzahs, put up another mezuzah, add another mitzvah, like Shabbos candles, put fill in every day. Make times to set times to study Torah, in addition to going to the doctor. Yeah, there are miracles. There are miracle stories. There are also that's that's uh, that those are beautiful, and those are things that we should hope for. But that does not mean that we don't need to do our parts by taking the right step. So, if human means that we have the right to choose, being ethical, following the Torah means that we make the right choice. The right choice is that we don't always have the right to refuse because it's not our body that we have authority over. It's a possession of God. It's a property of God which He deposited into our care. He didn't ask us if we want to take care of it. He gave it to us and He says, I'm instructing you. It is our responsibility. It is our, obliga- it is our obligation to care. We are a custodian of God's body that He gave to us to live with. We need to take, to take care of this body. We need to take preventive measures, putting up a guardrail, avoiding risky situations that are considered risky and not accepted. It's not the norm to take such risks. And not only that, but when it happens that a person is assaulted, they should seek medical attention. Verapoi, they need to, it, there's given permission to heal. And even if it was directly from God, we, we have permission, we have our obligation, Ushmar, to guard our souls. And it is not interfering with God's plan. This is part of God's plan. Just as God says we should feed our hungry bodies, we should take care of the body that belongs to Him by altering the status of the field and producing luscious fruits and eating. So too, we need to 
use the, what's in nature and produce medicine to take care of these illnesses. Why he sends these illnesses, I do not know and we do not know. And the rabbis of old said, we do not know why people suffer always. Yes, we have to take it as a message from God to improve, but we don't always know. Good people suffer too. Maybe not the word is suffering. Good people have painful experiences. Suffering, I think, is a choice. Pain is not always. And yes, we should seek, we should go to the physicians. But we thank God because we know that God gave them the tools. God gave them the wisdom. God provided the cure. And that's why we pray to Hashem. Rifa'inu Hashem. When I was a young boy, I used to sing in a choir for our school's dinners, fundraising dinners. And one of the songs was this prayer. Beautiful song. Rifa'inu Hashem I will God, and we will be healed. Heal us, God. Yes, it does not. We going to the doctor works hand in hand with fulfilling God's will. God wants us to care for His possession, for the body that He entrusted to our care. Let's live up to that responsibility. Hopefully, He will never send illness our way. But we need to take the proper measures to guard this gift that Hashem has given us. That wraps up our lesson for today. Let's learn number 119. Next week, 120. 120. 120. That's a beautiful Jewish number. Thank you for joining. Now, let's, if anyone has any questions, I'm going to look back, uh, see if we can address some of the questions in the comments. <clears throat> okay. Um, so, why walking, uh, smoking? Okay, so I can't say really because uh, I've never smoked, but uh, and I've never I didn't research all about smoking. But generally, yes, smoking would be uh, question quite questionable. Rabbis uh, deal with this thing. This is like a question that rabbis deal with. Is it permitted to smoke? You know, having a cigarette once in a while, that might not be considered something risky because if you smoke once, uh, once in a blue moon, it can uh, be calming probably for somewhat and maybe that uh, can be more beneficial. And one time a cigarette, the body uh, cl- probably clears it out. Um, that's what I would imagine. Obviously, excessive smoking addiction is a problem and would be detrimental to health. Uh, again, I can't say I'm not educated on the subject of smoking, but yes, yeah, something which is accepted as detrimental to your health would be uh, somewhat of a violation to our commandment of Ushmor Nafshachov, guarding your health. So, obviously, these things are not so clear. It's a good thing to, it would be a nice thing to, a good, important thing to research uh, about smoking. But I would say that most don't smoke. I, 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 I grew up in, uh, uh, I guess, going to a Hasidic yeshiva and as a rule, um, smoking was not was not done, was not prevalent. Um, listen, uh, humans are humans, boys are boys, and temptations are temptations. We're all human, 
and no one is perfect. Just because somebody uh, in one area doesn't follow the exact law of Torah doesn't mean that uh, they're terrible. Yeah, it's not a good example, but uh, everybody has their challenges and their temptations. So just because a person uh, you know, has uh, payas and is dressed like a Hasidic Jew, it doesn't mean that they're 100%. They also have their challenges and their temptations and their desires. And it's possible that uh, smoking is fun for them. And that's their challenge. Or, or, um, you know, we shouldn't, definitely shouldn't judge them. But if it's the right thing or not, probably not the right thing. They don't have the. They don't have to be. They don't need. They should be. But uh, no one is perfect. They're not the representatives of uh, of Torah. Everybody tries to follow Torah as much as they can. And uh, for some people, it's harder. Some people, it's easier. Shouldn't go ahead and. Uh, I don't think it's right to judge them. Uh, but good point, uh, Gary. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, would not be recommended. I would tell you that they do not recommend. The rabbis don't recommend them to go ahead and smoke. And. Actually, I believe it's probably against the yeshiva rule, or whoever, whatever these people are. You know, the, the teachers would, would, not, would not. It's not. Uh, it's not accepted. It's not allowed. If they do it, uh, what can we do? You know, we try our best. Okay, uh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining. It's a pleasure studying Torah together, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to study Torah. Feel free to share this link so others can benefit from the Torah, from what I believe is the Torah perspective from these sources. Share this link and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. We will be back, God willing, this Thursday at 7.30. We missed the last week, but this Thursday we should be back on for episode 29 on Rivka's Facebook page. We're going to talk about something interesting and fascinating. Join us then, 7.30 p.m. Be well, and thank you for joining. Excuse me. Remember, we are custodians, and we have a responsibility to God.